This is chapter 114 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS ADD Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Coming up, we talk with thriller writer Brad Thor about the prevalence of firearms in his books and what it takes to keep a reoccurring character fresh. Author David Bell shares why he thinks airports are unlike any other place on Earth. Then we grapple with what it means to be home. Fans of Brad Thor would be forgiven if they thought the thriller writer had a crystal ball capable of seeing the future. His plots go beyond ripped from the headlines and are more like the headlines of tomorrow. Well, he really outdoes himself in his latest book, Backlash, which picks up right where readers were left hanging in his previous thriller. He recently spoke with our Pat Farnack. It's the 18th in my Scott Harvath series, 19th thriller overall, none of which you need to have read before picking up Backlash. If you haven't read Brad Thor, you can start with Backlash. I I love that about your books. And this time, uh, super spy and black ops agent Scott Harvath is back, but it's really different this time. He's captured by the bad guys after many of the people he loves are massacred. Yeah, I've never done this before, Pat, and that's what I, I look for plots nobody else has done, and I particularly look for things that, for my readers, they'll say, whoa, I didn't see this coming. He's never done anything like this before, and that's how I got this idea. He's never been taken captive, mm-hmm. and I thought, what if the book opens, page one, with that as the setup, and we just, it's like pulling a slingshot back and letting it go from that point, and it's just action all the way through until the end, but what was fun for me as an author is is I spent a lot of time doing research and speaking to instructors and special operations personnel and spies. What happens if you're captured? How the heck do you get out of there? And then once you, if you do escape, how do you stay hidden until you can be rescued? Or how do you make it to a, a friendly country uh, to, to make your way home? And that stuff is the, the detail stuff that I think makes this thriller so much fun to read. It certainly is fun to read. And if we could talk just a second about your, your storytelling technique. You start with with a plane crash and your first line is a grabber you write the transport plane like everything else in russia was a piece of bleep blank yes <laughs> boy you get right into it well you know what i've always been a big fan and this is going to sound very pretentious when you grab a famous author uh and and try to compare yourself and i'm not comparing myself to hemingway but i've always been a big fan of hemingway's writing style and i've read a lot about what shaped his writing style and journalism shaped his writing style short powerful punchy sentences Get right to the point. Don't waste any time. Uh, In fact, Elmore Leonard uh, was asked for a piece of advice for young writers, and he told them, leave out the parts that everybody skips or skims over. So I wanted to get right to the heart of it. That was just what came to my mind, uh, and it just has resonated with people. I've yet to do an interview or to see a review where somebody doesn't bring that up. So I think I got a pretty good opening line with that one. In Backlash, Scott... Horvath doesn't seem to believe that revenge is a dish best served cold at all. Should we be worried about him, though? He 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 goes for vengeance. Is he suffering from PTSD? A guy can only take so much. I was thinking. Well, this is the interesting challenge that an author who writes a repeat character uh, comes up against: is how do you keep him fresh and exciting and reveal little parts of him? to your longtime readers, but also introduce them in such a way that brand new readers will say, wow, I really like this guy. So 
So this was probably the hardest book I've ever written, not only because I raise the bar each time and I'm leaping over a higher and higher Mm -hmm. bar every time I sit down to my desk, but he's wrestling with stuff that I absolutely couldn't relate to. There are things that happened to him uh, leading up to this book and within this book that I just don't have any human emotional uh, experiences to compare to. Mm -hmm. So that was the challenge for me is how do you balance saving your own life and getting out of this situation? Situation, and then wanting revenge, because we've always heard revenge is a dish best served cold. And then there's the other thing, uh, the flip side of that, that they talk about, which is if you're going out for revenge, you better dig two graves, one for your target, one for yourself. So how do I move him through this very tricky landscape uh, where he's going to need to keep his head on his shoulders if he wants to be successful, not only escaping his captors, but getting revenge? And so I think balancing those emotions is is part of the tension in the book that makes it makes it exciting. And I've spent time, I I spent time with a spy uh, overseas who was getting divorced from his wife and his phone kept ringing. And I remember saying, how do you deal with this? And he said, listen, I love my wife, love my family. We're in a very difficult time right now, but I have to focus on my mission. I can't keep answering the phone. I can't keep thinking about what's happening back home because I could lose my life or worse. This is what I thought was worse. I could fail at my mission. So that ability to compartmentalize is what sets the, the B team players uh, or the A-team players away from the B-team players. Our great spies, our great special operations personnel can slam that stuff behind a solid iron door in their brains and just focus on the mission. Yeah, I've meant to ask you this every time I talk to you. Um, guns are so controversial, and you talk very knowingly about uh, weapons. And I guess this is a two-part question. The first one is, do you ever get taken to task, first of all, about including guns in your books. And the second part of that is, do you try them out before you put them in your books? So I'll answer the last question first, okay. and that is, if it's not bolted to an airframe, I've <laughs> tested it out. So if it's if it's not something that's bolted to a to a plane or a helicopter, I have I have fired it. Very wow. likely, there's some exotics that I haven't, but uh, even some of the exotics I have. The other thing is, is I my father is a United States Marine. I mm. grew up around firearms. Firearms were always explained to us as a tool. So much like a doctor uses a scalpel, particularly in these situations when it's warfare, when it's espionage, when it's life or death, these are your emergency rescue tools. In case of emergency, break a glass and take this tool out and use it. It is an item on a tool belt, much the way the police are taught continuum of force. Uh, If somebody's coming at you with a baseball bat and they're two blocks away, you don't need to shoot them. Uh, there's there's other things you can do. They're not a threat. So in my books, that's that's what they are used for. I am I own firearms myself. I was uh, I went to police academy back in Illinois, and so I've learned these things about firearms. So they play an important role in the book. I don't necessarily glamorize the weapons, but I do recognize that they have a purpose in the world. And I think it was, uh, there's an old line from the Old West that God didn't create all men equal, Samuel Colt did. And there's a lot to be said for uh, what they can do to equalize force on both sides. And if you're in a hostile foreign country and your enemy is hunting you down and you got a thousand people on your trail, uh, you'll be glad to have several tools in your toolbox that you can call on. Your stories really feel like they are pulled from the headlines. And again, I say this every time I talk to you, or not only pulled from the headlines, but from behind the headlines in in some cases. Uh, Yet your stories are evergreen as well. You mentioned you can pick up any of your Scott Harvath uh, books and it'll be fine. You don't need a lot of the backstory, 
although it's it's so much fun when you do have it. How do you do that? Well, this is this is another difficult thing that I think sets some authors apart from others. I, I know thriller authors who I have a lot of respect for that wrote Osama bin Laden into some of their thriller books or based yeah. novels on on hunting him and everything. I knew he was going to be killed or captured at some point, and I thought, why would you ever want to then take your book kind of out of the marketplace because everybody knows how the book, how the story ends. The guy's got a couple bullets in him, and they and they dumped him in the drink. So it is a it is a high wire act, Pat, you really have to say, okay, what are the elements of this story that are going to resonate with people? And I'll tell you, part of the inspiration for this book was I read a New York Times uh, article years ago about a new translation of Homer's the Odyssey. And the person who did the, the review of it at the NYT said, you know, the Iliad is the book that warriors going off to war should read because it teaches them what to leave behind and not bring to the battlefield. But once the war is over and you're on your way home, the Odyssey is the book you should read because it tells you what parts of the battlefield you need to leave on the battlefield and not bring home to society. And so there are there are echoes of Homer's Odyssey in Backlash, of this uh, my, my protagonist trying to make it home and being thwarted at every turn and having to kind of overcome these obstacles before there's a certain shift in him and a shift in his situation in the story that allows him to finally come out the other end and be ready mentally, emotionally, and even physically to return. So it's, it's a, uh, it is a tricky thing to do as a writer, but I, I, I've gotten to know my audience, I think, pretty well because I pay attention to what they say. I think I've told you before that when they leave those reviews on Goodreads or wherever they do book reviews, that's my performance review for the year. These are the people I work for, so I pay attention to what they say, and I want to make them happy. I want each year for them to say, yeah, we're going to renew this guy's contract. We want Brad to come back with another thriller next summer. Well, I can't wait to see what happens to Scott next it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting i've already started writing the next book uh which my wife my editor and my agent are very happy about that i started this early uh so it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting but the pressure's on me because i jack the bar up so high for this summer's thriller uh i may need a jetpack to get over it for next summer but uh, i can't wait to be at the position to be doing this interview with you again to say okay i did it pat i got another book written so that'll be fun to do me too and I, I hope you won't roll your eyes when you hear me uh, ask this next question. Will we see uh, Scott Harvath on a Netflix series or an Amazon Prime series anytime soon? Uh, it's a great question, and I am not rolling my eyes at all. <laughs> In fact, we have uh, we have signed a deal. I'm under a non-disclosure agreement. I've been to, <laughs> I've kissed a lot of frogs in Hollywood, Pat. Uh, I could write a book on the twists and turns. We've been to the altar so many times, oh. and I can't get a ring on my finger. Uh, we've got probably the most exciting deal going right now, which is uh, it's it's huge. I have spent some time with an unbelievable actor. I think it'd be a great Scott Harvath. Ooh. So we've got some exciting stuff, but but until we get into the first day of production, I'm not saying anything. So uh, hopefully this time next year we'll be we'll be talking about what's what's about to hit the screen. If everything goes right, we will next time we interview together. That's so exciting! Great, congratulations. I guess <laughs> fingers <laughs> crossed, right? Yep. Uh, well, we've been talking with. Um, Brad Thor about his latest exciting book. It's a Scott Harvath book. It's called Backlash. And thanks again for uh, doing the interview this morning, Brad.
It's always my pleasure, Pat. Spend any time in an airport and you'll soon realize there are their own little universes, not subject to the rules of the outside world. Just think about how time passes when you're in one. That's the world where Layover, the new book from David Bell, takes off. We talked about the real-life encounter that inspired his pulse-pounding thriller and why you might not look at airports the same way again. And oh, it's this week's Beach Read. Yeah, Layover is a story about a guy named Joshua, and he's a regular guy in his 20s who is working a job. He works for his dad's company, and, uh, and he's just going through the motions of his life. He travels all the time. He's in airports. He's in hotels. Uh, and he's in meetings, and he's not really living his life. And one day in an airport during a layover, he meets a woman, and they talk, and they have a drink, and they connect. And this woman gets up and gives him a big smooch and says, it was great talking to you, but I'm never going to see you again. And so after she leaves to get on her plane, he looks up at the TV that's playing there in the bar, And he sees her face on the TV, and it turns out that this woman is a missing person. And so now Joshua has to figure out what does he do? Does he tell the police? Does he try to find this woman and help this woman who he had this connection with? Uh, And so that's the beginning of his adventure across the country trying to find her. I can't help but feel for Joshua. It's like his whole world is black and white. And when this woman, Morgan, walks into it, everything becomes color. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those stories about how you can have a very brief encounter with a person and the way that changes your life. It, It doesn't even have to be a romantic encounter. It can be any encounter where you meet someone and, like you said, all of a sudden, they open a door to a different kind of life and you realize the life you've been living is not the life you've wanted to live. And that's really what's going on with him is that when this, he sees through this door into this other life, it puts everything in his current life into doubt. And does he want to continue to live that way or not? Tell me about the inspiration for this story, because that's kind of cool. Yeah, well, you know, so I'm a writer, so I go on book tours, and when you're a writer, you know, you're always looking around at everything in the world to see if there's a story out there. Because, you know, I write a book every year, so I'm always looking for a new idea to write about. So I was in the Nashville airport waiting for a flight, and I was sitting at the bar, and I saw this couple talking across the bar from me. And they were having this really intense conversation. I just naturally assumed that this was a couple that had been in a relationship a long time. All of a sudden, the woman got up, she gave the guy a kiss, and she left. And I heard the guy say to the bartender after she left, that was the strangest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. I just met that woman, and we started talking, and we started pouring out everything about our lives to each other. And then she just got up and left. So of course, since I'm a writer, I was thinking, well, there's got to be a story there. What's going on with this woman that she would open up to this guy in an airport and then just leave that way? And so that was the birth of layover in my mind. So was that something that you saw and filed away, you know, and and didn't act on it right away? Or was it a, a story idea that you knew you had to jump on immediately? 
It came pretty quickly. I mean, a, a, there are other books I've written where I've had the idea in my head for years, thinking someday I want to write about that. Uh, but yeah, with Layover, it just kind of, you know, I saw that and it was almost an immediate flash of that's a story and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I think one one thing I think for writers is if there's something that you just cannot stop thinking about, that's a thing you have to write about. You just that's what tells you this is an idea I can't let go of. I've got to write it down. Let's talk about airports and this idea that it's really a unique environment not found anywhere else except at other airports. Yeah, airports are weird because they're these um, in-between places. Um, even when you go to a city and you're in their airport, you're not really in that city. You know, you're, you're just kind of passing through. And to me, airports always feel like you're in suspended animation. You're not, you're not at your destination. You're not at home yet. Uh, you're not really experiencing the city. They feel kind of like they're just closed off biodomes of their own, you know, with their own malls and their own their own uh, restaurants and their own prices and and everything. So it feels like it's a place where you can do things without consequences, which is what happens in the book that these characters feel like I can open up to a stranger in the airport because it's not my real life. And and then when, when you leave the airport, then you're back to the rules of real life. I have to tell you, I don't think I will look at staying in an airport or flying on an airplane the same way again after reading this book. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those stories that you, now you look around, now I look around at people, and maybe people who read the book will look around at people, whether it's in an airport or on a plane or whatever, and you'll start to think, well, everybody on this plane, everybody in this airport has a story. You know, who who is... Who on this plane is on the run? You know, who has a, a big secret in their past? Um, who's doing something really exciting? You don't you can't really tell just by looking at people on a plane or in an airport, because I think to some extent when we travel, we all get that, you know, tunnel vision, that glazed look on our face. Oh, I'm just you know, I'm just walking through the airport. I just got to get to my plane. I want to I want to read my magazine, whatever. But but now I think, well, what is going on in everybody's head on this plane? And how do you personally feel about flying? Because we know how Joshua feels. He's not a fan of it. He has to take his Xanax and a drink before he even boards. You know, when I was younger and I didn't fly a lot, I would get really nervous about flying. Um, I fly a lot more now because of my career, because of my writing career, because I go on book tours and I go to conferences and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm pretty used to it, but I will admit that some of that about Joshua is true. I do take the old Xanax before I fly, uh, and a lot of times it just knocks me out, and I'm like, I, am, I will be asleep before the plane even takes off. So uh, I've gotten really used to it, but you know, I'm not, I'm not 100% crazy about flying. I would drive myself any time before I would get on a plane, but you know, sometimes you just have no choice, so the Xanax helps a lot. Another thing that Joshua does, he has this pre-flight ritual where he buys a paperback book before he gets on the airplane. And I'm just curious, have you ever encountered someone reading one of your books at an airport or in an airplane? You know, I've never seen someone reading one of my books on the plane. I have been in the airport 
and I've been in the bookstore and my book is on the display. And I remember once I saw this person looking at the display and they picked up my book and they were examining my book. And I really was thinking to myself, okay, I could just walk over and say, hey, I hear that book is great. (laughs) Or I could just I could just walk over and then not admit who I am. Or I could just walk over and say, hey, I wrote that. But then I thought, you know, either one is probably kind of weird to a stranger. You know, they don't want to be bothered with some because then they either they feel pressure like, oh, I have to buy the book or I'm hurting this person's feelings. Or if they don't buy the book, then they're hurting my feelings. So I just walked away and just let them make their own decision. And and I will admit, they didn't end up buying my book. I did watch. They bought someone else's book. Uh, But that's okay. That's just one of the, that's just the suffering you have to endure as a writer. Next time. Maybe next time. For all I know, they bought all my other books, and then they were just like, I just can't buy any more David Bell books. I've bought so many. I've had enough. Let's give someone else a chance. That's probably (laughs) what they were thinking. So what are you working on next, David? Well, I'm in the process of finishing uh, my next book for next year, which is called The Request, uh, which is about a guy who um, his best friend from college shows up and says, look, I need you to do me a favor. Uh, I was involved in this uh, unawkward relationship that ended badly, and I need you to go into this woman's house and take some incriminating materials out of the house so that my fiancé doesn't find out, Uh, except when the friend uh, takes that request and goes into the house, he kind of finds a dead body in the house, and he hears sirens coming And so he just gets way in deep. Uh, And the message is don't do for don't do requests for old friends because it never ends well. Stick to yourself. Yes. Yes. Just ignore those old people from your past because it's it's never going to end well. Until then, we can read Layover by David Bell. Thanks for talking with us. Hey, thanks so much for talking to me. I appreciate it. This is Home, the new novel from Lisa Duffy, explores that old saying about friends being the family we choose. And as the title suggests, she also tackles how people define what home is. She recently spoke with our Tanya Hansen and sets the stage for readers. Uh, This is Home is about um, a 16-year-old girl, Libby Winters, who moves into the middle of apartment of a triple-decker outside of Boston after her mother passes away. And she's living with her father, who's a policeman in the town, and her aunt's living above her. Um, And the house is sort of already crowded for her. And Quinn Winters uh, moves in downstairs. And Quinn is the other point of view in the book. And she is the wife of a soldier who's just returned from uh, overseas from his second tour. And he's suffering from PTSD. And after a violent uh, sort of uh, night terror, he goes missing and she moves into the first floor of the apartment. And it's, uh, the story really begins there with Libby and Quinn's journey to sort of redefine what their meaning is of family and home. And home really does mean something different to everyone. Why did you choose home as the heart of your story? You know, I think it sort of developed um, 
the story really developed from these characters. I, I don't think I really set out to write a story specifically um, about what it means to be, uh, you know, to to talk about home in any specific way. Um, as I started the story, I had certain ideas about um, things that I wanted to write about, and, and that sort of just naturally happened from, from the characters. What made you tackle post-traumatic stress disorder? You know, it really started from uh, really two things that had sort of stuck in my mind. I had, uh, whenever I sort of read something and it, it, it uh, piques my curiosity, I sort of bookmark it on my computer. And I read an article about a National Guard unit that um, was deploying for their third, uh, their third tour overseas. And um, the article was told um, from the point of view um, of the soldiers who were deploying, but also the family members who were staying at home and sort of some of the challenges that they were facing. Um, And at the same time, um, my daughter was graduating from high school and um, a a number of her um, a number of her friends and her uh, her classmates were joining the military. Um, and I remember being really surprised by that and sort of my reaction to it was actually one of sort of fear and anxiety because these kids were not, they were joining potentially in combat situations. Um, so both of those things sort of just, you know, I wanted to write a story, um, where I might find the answers to some of these questions of what is it like to join sort of a national guard unit, maybe for, um, you know, college credits or for, uh, extra pay and then find yourself in a combat situation, you know, and how does that, how does that change you as a person? How do you come back into, uh, into civilian life? And, you know, what are the effects of all of those things on the people left at home? So, you know, that was really the origin of me wanting to write about war and, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome and all of the different things that can arise from that type of situation. And as you said, you tell the story from two viewpoints going back and forth. You go between 16-year-old Libby and Quinn, whose husband with PTSD goes missing. Um, What made you pick that writing style? I happen to really enjoy it. I like that going back and forth between those two characters. Yeah, you know, I I do too. I mean, I think, you know, my first book, The Salt House, was written in four points of view. Um, You know, in in my third book now is written in three points of view. I just, I happen to, I feel like naturally as 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 a writer, um, I love exploring different characters and getting so close to them that I'm actually, you know, speaking in their in their points of view. It's just fun. Um, and I think for the book really started with Libby and I didn't really know where I was going with it. Um, it's just sometimes, you know, certain things when you're starting them, you write sentences upon sentences and then something just sort of sticks and you think, hmm, this is interesting. Let me follow this down a path. And that for me was the character of Libby. And I actually have a lot of similarities with Libby. I um, grew up in the middle of apartment of a triple decker, 12 miles outside of Boston. My dad was a policeman in the town and we always had family living in the house with various, you know, my mom's aunt at one point and then my, uh, my dad's sister and, you know, different people. And I remember thinking it was really, really crowded all the time. And, um, you know, we lived really two doors away from an active fire station. Um, so there was always like lots of noise going on. And um, it was interesting. I don't really read my work um, until I'm finished with it. And so when I finished the first draft, I sort of read through the whole story. And, you know, after I read it, I thought like, wow, this is sort of, you know, um, it was interesting to me because there were so many different similarities 
with me and Libby's character. And it was, I think at the end, it just a, almost like an exploration for me of, uh, of my own childhood and being able to grow up and move away and then looking back and thinking of how much of that experience made me who I am today and how much I look back fondly on it, even though at the time I would have given anything to live in this, like, you know, really what I considered a normal household, small and, you know, maybe just a one, you know, one or two stories of other family members living in it. You know, I really liked every character and they feel very real. And now I understand why, because you really drew from part of your own life uh, for some of the characters anyway. Oh, for sure, for sure, and that, and that, you know, and I don't think that's even actually as a writer a conscious decision. You know, you sometimes, like I said, I, I didn't even really. You're writing it, and you're so much in the character's mind, and you don't know, you know, sort of what's coming out of nowhere, what's coming from your own experiences, and then you, you know, for me at least, I I read back, you know, through the whole story, and and it, a lot of it was, you know really, you know, born of, I think, my own experiences um, growing up in that type of situation. And dogs are part of the story, and I love that. One of them, Rooster Cogburn, I have to tell you that that's one of my very favorite John Wayne characters. Are you a John Wayne fan? I am. You know, how can you not be? (laughs) That rooster is absolutely one of those uh, one of those things that was wasn't a dis- really a decision when I was writing the book. You know, I was, when I was writing the character of Libby, she had a dog. I mean, she just did. I knew it in my mind that she had a dog, and um, so it wasn't really a conscious decision. It was just more like this would be a family who owned a dog, and then Rooster Cogburn appeared, and you know, he was this big lazy beast immediately in my mind. And, you know, that could be, we always have labs and they're always like these, you know, similar, just lazy, you know, fun loving, sort of like living for their next meal. And so he sort of disappeared on the page. And, you know, he was a lot of fun to spend time with. Lisa, what do you hope readers take away from your book? Oh, I think for me, you know, I, I don't really have any expectations. And I think as, as an author, what I hope that they take away is that they, they enjoyed the story and maybe there's parts of themselves that they can see in the story and that there are characters that at the, you know, the last page when they close the book that they think, you know, I'm going to miss these people. And that, you know, it was just a really enjoyable story. And I think that's the most that I could hope for as a writer. Well, I'll tell you, I felt that way. I really enjoyed it. I liked all the characters and it, it was a quiet, nice, like stroll through the park kind of story. And it kept you going. Every chapter upon chapter, really, you wanted to keep reading and find out what happens with all the characters and how it's going to end. And Lisa, that's so nice to hear. Thank you. And uh, are you working on anything new right now? I am. I'm actually uh, very close to finishing the first draft of my third book. Um, And it is uh, releasing from Atria next summer. And um, it's about class identity and betrayal colliding when a young girl is orphaned in a close-knit island community off the coast of New England. And um, I think, you know, it has, you know, for me, there's characters the same. I'm really enjoying writing them. And I think um, I think I'm hoping that it's a similar experience where, uh, you know, readers will really just enjoy the story and like getting to know these people. Author Lisa Duffy, new book. This is home. Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you. And 
that's where we'll close the book on this chapter. Next time around, we kick summer into high gear with a show that's entirely dedicated to beach reads, including a book that takes a look at the history of the summer read. You won't want to miss it. Until then, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich.